0: Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Jaguar Report Podcast. I am your host, John Chipley, along with my co host Gus Log. Gus, how you doing today, man?
1: I'm great, John. Just kinda of bunkering down for Tropical Storm ETA, which I don't think will be that big of a deal, but we'll see what happens. I- how you doing?
0: I, I needed to not be called e- Eta, or at least not be spelled ETA. I I, I hate everything about that. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> obviously, hope everybody stays safe during that. Uh, obviously, all across the country, and especially in Florida. Uh, Gus, obviously, you know, there's kind of a big storyline with the Jaguars, well as big of a storyline as a one in seven team can have at this point. Uh, the Jaguars might, for the second year in a row, have some quarterback controversy. Uh, We are now a few days removed from Jacksonville uh, dropping their week nine game against the Houston Texans, 27-25 at home. Uh, The Jaguars have now lost seven straight. Gus, just before we hop into the Jake Luden or Gardner Minshew, uh, give me your general takeaway of the team uh, after the game. For for me, at least, I saw it as, you know, they basically did as much as they could. They played hard. They coached well, I thought. They they made some big plays. And they still came up just short of beating, you know, like they basically threw the kitchen sink and everything they had at the Texans. And they still can beat a team that was one and six whose only wins this year are against the Jaguars. So I thought this week painted a good picture of the Jaguars. I think they play hard. I, I, I do. I I think anybody who insists that, Uh, on the field that they aren't at least, you know, trying is ludicrous because I think it's obvious that they're playing hard, but they're just not very good. And I I think this game kind of summed that up. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think some fans will say maybe
1: everyone except for uh, number 90. But I definitely agree that everyone's playing hard and they played well against the Texans, honestly, or coached well against the Texans. And I think it just kind of came down to – the quarterback battle because Luton was really impressive in his first career start, but Deshaun Watson just kind of turned into Superman for like five or six plays, and that was just kind of the difference in the game. Luton doesn't really have the power of abilities that Watson has, unfortunately, and not very many quarterbacks in the league at all have the same abilities of as Watson. And so, I think just his greatness kind of put them over the edge a little bit, and that was kind of the deciding factor. But certainly agree that they
0: played
1: hard and. It might have been the best coach game of the season for the
0: Jaguars. Yeah, no, I'd agree there. I, 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 we've talked about it before on this podcast. I see Watson as Jacksonville's next paid Manning, a dude that's just going to bludgeon them uh, year in and year out. They'll win a game against them now and then. maybe. <laughs> the Jaguars have never beaten Watson in a game that he has started in his NFL career. Uh, considering that he is a divisional rival and you play him twice a year and he's the franchise quarterback, so – He's not going anywhere probably for the next close to a decade. That's got to be concerning for the Jaguars. Uh, Last time they beat Houston, I believe TJ Yates was Houston's starting quarterback. It was a December game in Jacksonville. Uh, Watson obviously made his debut against Jacksonville week one, 2017. But Tom Savage, the great start of that game. Shouts to Bill O'Brien for that big boy brain move. Um, Obviously, the big thing to talk about, Gus, is Jake Luton. Uh I, I think both you and I kinda had well low expectations. I'm not gonna speak for you. My expectations were uh Nathan Peterman like. I I and that's nothing against uh Jake Luden, but uh a sixth round quarterback who isn't exactly or who wasn't considered mobile going into a week nine game on a bad team with no preseason or anything like that. I thought it was a recipe for disaster, but you know, he, he, he went in there and played much better than I thought he would. He completed 26 or 38 passes for 304 yards. Uh, that's 8, 8.0 yards per attempt, 68.42 completion percentage, threw a touchdown and an interception, but then also had the 13-yard touchdown run. Gus, what was your general takeaway of Loon's performance? Because, like I said, he outdid my expectations. 100%. I
1: had very low expectations, honestly, just because of- it was a sixth-round NFL rookie making his first career start in a COVID season. I mean, he didn't have any, like, or he had a little bit of offseason, but he had no preseason games to had any experience in. And so my expectation was, honestly, yours was Nathan Peterman and mine was Gardner Minshew, honestly. I just kind of thought he would be really conservative and sketch in the pocket and not be willing to kind of throw down field. But it was almost the exact opposite because he actually looked really comfortable in the pocket I thought his pocket movement was actually really impressive. And then he took shots downfield and he connected on them. I think he was three for seven on throws 20 plus yards downfield. And he had the one to chark on with the third play of the game. And then he had a few other really impressive ones. And the ball just comes off his hand as at a different velocity than it does Minshew's, I think. And it was really cool to see, honestly. I think we kind of got weighed down by watching Minshew the past year plus. And even though he's he's definitely fun to watch at times, but at the same time, he doesn't make – he can't make throws, honestly, that an NFL quarterback typically can just because of his limited arm strength. So, I think for Luton to kind of come in there and be able to just rifle some throws into windows, even when he missed, it was still kind of cool to see. I felt like John Elway, honestly, was I, – I was watching <laughs> a tall quarterback with It was pretty cool. Just uh, maybe, it, maybe if um, – it'll be – It'll be interesting to see what happens this offseason season between the two quarterbacks. But if we got a fourth from the Bears for uh, Foles, then they will get a second from Elway for <laughs> six, seven, Lutton.
0: I love the idea Luton. of Jake Luton turning you from Shashi Brown into John Elway. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea of you going full Elway <laughs> LA for for Jake Luton. That's great. No, I, I mean I, I I agree with you. Um, I'm actually, uh, you know. There's going to be a full breakdown of Luden's performance on Jaguar Report uh not long after this podcast is recorded. I went through and watched the uh, the all twenty two of them I know you did, and I came away more impressed than I did when I was watching the game live and i i I think some obviously this caveat is needed uh Did he play a great game? No, did he play even a good game i i don't know I mean you know his completion uh what was it uh, expected completion percentage was I think top six uh in the week this year according to next gen stats So uh, Gruden tried to scheme him up some easy throws he didn't have a high a rate of aggressive missed throws but like you said they gave him the downfield shots that you know we've seen games where the Jaguars haven't completed a past 20 yards downfield this season and I mean we we, we saw instantly that that kind of reversed uh if you're hitting three of seven of your deep shots a game, I, I think for this team, I think that's a winning formula, uh, especially considering the home run threats they have at receiver. And, you know, he, he of course, had some negative plays. Uh, you, you know, he had a couple of dropped interceptions. One of them came on a tipped pass that, from Zach Cunningham. The other came – it looked like he was expecting Chris Conley to run like an out route, but instead Chris Conley cut in. Uh, somebody asked me, like, is that on Conley or Luden? Uh, it's probably not fair to assume, but I'm going to go with the rookie who, had never, who hadn't played in an NFL game yet. So there were some rookie moments, but like you just said, I think it's obvious, especially when you watch the all 22 of it, how comfortable he was in the pocket, uh, you know, stepping up against pressure. I, I think there's credence to the point that him maybe not being as athletic as Minshew is actually a positive because he was more willing to hang in the pocket and, on the one occasion he did leave, he was basically forced to. So, And uh, honestly, I thought he was more athletic than I thought he would be as well. I thought he would be Nick Foles type mobile, which is like an 18-wheeler trying to do a U-turn. But he, he, he uh, all in all, though, uh, I, I was impressed by him. Maybe that's because of how low my expectations were for him. Uh, that That's probably a big part of it. But I'm with you. I thought he did a lot of things. Uh, Gardner maybe, uh, you know, can't or hasn't. And – Obviously, a bigger sample size is needed. But, Gus, that kind of leads me into my next question. Uh, When Gardner Minshew gets 100% healthy, uh, you know, and who knows when that will be because he's still not throwing. When he's 100% healthy, what are you doing at the quarterback position?
1: Uh, I'm giving Luton more starts, honestly before the bye and before the Texans game, I might have said Minshew just because even though I don't think he's the guy, at the same time, he kind of deserved the chance to be the starter this year. And I think he kind of deserved the chance to be the starter through the year since he's still only in his second year and he's made less than 20 career starts. Um, but, I mean, Luton was, like you said, I think the fact that we had very low expectations certainly helped, but he definitely exceeded expectations for sure. and so. His, his arm talent, honestly, just gives the ceiling an automatic – or the offense an automatic higher ceiling. And so I think you got to see kind of what works with that. And also, um, I think it's interesting. Like I mentioned this on last week's pod, but I think kind of looking at the difference in offensive production between what Luton does and what Minshew does is yep. like a really good key of how they're good quarterbacks in the system. And so if Luton continues to ball – or maybe not ball out, but if Lumen continues to do fairly well in the same offense that Minshew struggled in the first half of the year, especially if he does okay against yeah. the, golf, the defenses that Jackson was going to face mm-hmm. the rest of the season, then I think that'll tell you a lot about both quarterbacks.
0: No, I mean that, that's backs. a good point. So personally, I'll continue starting. That that's a good point because the Jaguars did play some bad defenses the first half of the season, and we're still unable to get things going in some instances um I, I'd agree with you I, I think like you said uh, obviously some context is needed um Luden didn't play a great game or anything like that but I thought considering like you like we both said the circumstances of him not having a single NFL rep beforehand I thought it was impressive and when I watched the game it just felt like Luden, or at least this brand of quarterback that Luden is, the style of quarterback he is, fits better in Jay Gruden's offense than uh, Gardner Minshew. Uh, I went on record coming into the season saying I thought Gardner was a great fit for Jay's offense because of his quick release, his accuracy, um, his instincts. But uh, it, it just became apparent that they need somebody who can stay in the pocket and, you know, let the plays develop. And that's what Luden did. Um, Gus, it might sound – ridiculous but my entire parameter for which quarterback they should start is which guy is able to get dj Chark the ball more efficiently uh i i I think that you know if they have any chance to win any games over the course of the next um eight weeks and i know fans uh most fans don't want them to win any games but they're gonna try (laughs) every sunday to win i think if they're gonna do that they need to get dj Chark involved uh as really aggressively as they did against Houston. You know, I mean, they, they have force-fed him the ball in previous weeks, but it just came a lot easier to them this week. Um, of course, you know, the Texans were missing the best corner in Bradley Roby, but I thought Lude made a couple of throws to Chark. Uh, Gus, you tweeted out that one throw. Uh, it was an out, a deep out against a cover two in a two-minute drill at the end of the game. I don't think that's a throw that's attempted uh, in previous weeks, let alone completed, because it takes, uh, you know, some courage to make that throw as well as some arm strength. And then I also thought the first half throw to Tyler Eifert was another example of that. So I, I, I think it's fair to say, hey, Luden wasn't great. Maybe he wasn't even good, but he taught us a lot about the offense. And for me, he taught me a lot about Gardner Minshew. Would you agree with that?
1: Definitely. I think like I said earlier, like the incompletions almost tell you more about him than the completions, just because like the fact that he went three for seven on passes twenty plus yards downfield is really cool. But just the fact that he attempted seven passes might be the best part of that uh fact. And so I definitely agree that um Minshew, I think, understands his physical limitations. And so that's why he's so hesitant to throw downfield is because he understands that. I mean, he technically could throw that far downfield, but not the same velocity and not the same confidence. So it definitely tells us a lot about the quarterbacks. And there's a – I don't have it in front of me right now, but there's an interesting Jay Green quote from 2017. In the first half of the season, uh, Kirk Cousins was kind of doing check down Teddy or, or whatever you want to call it. He's checking down a lot and being really conservative. Yeah. And so Jay Green basically talks to the media about how – uh, Cousins was being super conservative, and how those guys open downfield, and he wanted to throw downfield more often. And then in the second half of the season, uh, Cousins actually ended up throwing downfield and was successful at it. And so I think definitely having a quarterback that can throw downfield when the offense kind of needs him to, even if it's not like I don't know a Russell Wilson offense or a Jameis Winston 2019 box offense. Where you're just being aggressive every play. Like, that's not really the goal of Groon's offense, but like, at least taking those shots every once in a while is kind of a necessity for any offense, honestly. Because if you're going to throw for mm-hmm. eight yards every time, then defenses will figure out how to stop it. And they did. They, as yeah. we talked about, defenses kind of stacked the box and played close to the line of scrimmage against Minshew, and that made him really uncomfortable. So, Loon's ability to throw seven times downfield, let well, alone complete three of them. I think is pretty huge.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, the, the Texans kind of played the Jaguars, uh, you know, like they would play them if Minshew was playing. You know, they loaded the box. Uh, maybe defenses changed that strategy as Luden progresses. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, Gruden, and this quote, honestly, it, it's, it's semi-related. But every time I think of a good Jay Gruden quote, I think of this. Uh, in 2017, Washington uh, had just gone 7-9. and Kirk Cousins was about to walk and somebody had asked them to uh, sum up Cousins a season and he had thrown like 4,000 yards. He goes, well, when you're seven to nine, it's hard to say, wow, this guy really was outstanding. <laughs> and I, I just love stuff like that from Gruden. And I, I think he's a very direct coach. And because of that, I think the stuff that he said on Wednesday about Luton, about being thoroughly impressed with him, I think we need to really at least take notice of it. Um, he he had been uh, open to say when Gardner was struggling, but he didn't really have anything negative to say about Luton when he talked uh, yesterday. So I think it's worth uh, keeping track of moving forward. But I, I'm with you. I I'd probably start Luton the rest of the way. It becomes a question of what you do after the season. I think I think if you're picking top three, it doesn't matter. Jake Luden, Gardner Minshew, John Elway, who's back there? If if you're picking top three, I think you have to pick a quarterback, uh, regardless of how Luden plays over these next eight games. Because I just – I don't think that's enough sample size to pass on a guy like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, or even Zach Wilson. What say you?
1: Completely agree. I think – I'm definitely excited to watch Luden play this week against Green Bay and possibly for the rest of the season just to kind of see – whether it was a fluke or kind of what he has in him since it was his first career start and not much of an off season, like we've said. And so the why I'm excited to see him. Um, I definitely agree that even if the Jaguars have a top 10 pick or top five pick, yeah, like I, I still think it would be inexcusable to not pick a quarterback.
0: Yeah. Sure. I'll, I'm with you. I, I, I guess like the question is like <laughs> kind of, what would be the end game for the Jaguars if Luden plays well? I mean, I think worst case scenario, you have a really good backup and either him or Minshew uh, pick a rookie bona fide franchise quarterback and then set yourself up in the quarterback room for years. And then I I think the Jaguars would be able to flip one of Minshew or Luden for a, a, a decent pick, you know. I don't not a day do not a day two pick obviously probably not even a fourth rounder but maybe a fifth rounder from a quarterback needy team who kind of has a year to examine what they have so i i think the Jaguars have set up well the quarterback position moving forward as long as they invest in the draft um and i I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that they're going to have a top pick so I'd be shocked uh, I know it's early uh, go ahead and put the date down as November 12th, as when John Shipley says he'll be shocked if the Jaguars don't take a quarterback when they take Kyle Pitts fourth overall or something. You can go ahead and read that back to me. <laughs> but um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you uh, on really all that. I think at the end of the day, the Jaguars, the quarterback position is the most interesting right now because it was the most interesting coming into the season and you're a 1-7 team and you know there's not a ton of storylines to track other than Loon and Minshew, but I'm interested to see how that shakes out, uh, over the next eight games. I think unless the wheels completely come off and Luden plays horrifically, I think he's going to stay in that quarterback, but, uh, you know, we'll obviously see, but with that said, there are, uh, you know, 21 other players on the field with the quarterback, uh, Gus, there's a lot to still talk about from the Jaguars loss against the Texans that, you know, doesn't even involve Luden. Uh, defensively the Jaguars they made a couple changes uh they, they, they made three noticeable changes they benched Taven Bryan for the first time since he's been implanted as a starter uh, they benched him for undrafted free agent Doug Costin uh, they started to rotate Daniel Thomas and Josh Jones I think Daniel Thomas went in there every other series or maybe Jones to go in there for two series and Thomas would come in for one I know Jones played like I think 15 to 20 more snaps, but it was the first time all year. Thomas has been rotated in like that. And then they also blitzed a lot more. Uh, you know, you, you tweet out the blitz percentage, but I, it was noticeable to anybody watching, you know, just how often uh, Todd Wash was sending everybody, even with those three changes, which were all necessary. In my opinion, they still gave up 27 points and uh, it only took Houston two plays to even score. Was that even an encouraging performance by the defense despite some changes and some decent playing spots? Because for, for me, I still think the defense isn't anything that you can really be optimistic about moving forward.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it was a little bit encouraging, partly because, like, well, first of all, for Todd Wash, it's kind of hard to know if I'm encouraged by him or not because he <laughs> blitzed the. Second, the the highest blitz rate of the season so far. Yeah. And just by looking at the film, probably the highest rate of man coverage, which in my opinion is a good thing, only because even though they put up 27 points and like, like CJ kind of, CJ Henderson got burned on the one touchdown and then Brandon Cooks had a long touchdown on a screen on their first possession. Um, like other than that, like I think they kind of contained Watson and decent come until yeah except for the 5 weeks plays, like I said, where he kind of turned into Superman. Um, but, yeah, so the stat is that Wash has blitzed on 46.7% of Watson's dropbacks this season compared to 24.5% of all other opposing quarterbacks' dropbacks. So he's blitzed Watson almost twice as much as any other quarterback this season. And so that's why it's kind of hard to kind of True. take something away from the scheme because just because he blitzed this past week doesn't mean he's going to continue blitzing a lot, and playing man coverage for the rest of the season True. because it was against That's the. That's a good point. Team. It's very, it's very, um, not maybe, maybe not very likely, but I would definitely expect the blitz rate to kind of drop back down against Rodgers and the rest of the opponents. But it will be so, interesting to see what they do against Rodgers because I don't think they have really have any chance of slowing him down. So but yeah.
0: So did you see it more as? That's basically just Todd Wash's strategy to defend Watson at this point, as opposed to Wash saying, I'm not getting home my front four. I need to just start sending more.
1: Yeah, I think this yeah. week against Green Bay will be a strong indicator of that just because it's a non Watson quarterback. Yeah. Because I'll have to go back, honestly, look at previous seasons and see if he blitzed Watson at a high rate in the past, also, or if it was just this season. And so I think. He kind of deserves a little bit of props, even though it didn't quite work and we still lost. Yeah. Like at the beginning of the season, we were like – everyone was like, oh, my – Todd Wash is the worst. He runs cover three every play. And so even though the defense hasn't really made a change in performance, at least Wash is trying something new, and I, I respect that at least.
0: Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I'm actually uh, – I I was surprised yesterday. I'm trying to think of who tweeted it out. Somebody with ESPN was tweeting out some, like, offensive and defensive tendency percentages yesterday. And the Jaguars have ran the highest rate of cover one in the NFL this season, according to ESPN. Uh, th- does that surprise you? Because that surprises me a good bit. Uh, I, we both have talked about how they, how they have used more man coverage this season. The reason it surprises me is because it, it just doesn't seem like they have either the front four or the secondary to be running that much – cover one but anybody I guess who wants to say that they've been using the same old cover three this season technically not true so I mean does that surprise you they've been using cover one as much as they have
1: yeah definitely and I would I wouldn't be surprised to hear that they ranks like maybe in the top 10 of the league in terms of cover one usage but ranking number one is definitely a little surprising to me but they ran a ton of cover one against Texans in both games and then I kind of thought just oh, a decent amount of it against all other opponents, but I mean maybe Wash is blitzing as you said just because the pressure isn't getting home because the Jaguars rank seventh in ESPN's pass rush win rate team metric actually, which is shocking considering they rank last in sacks. But then they also rank I th- want to say 17th in pressure rate, whatever is it, whatever it is for pressure rate, it's like pretty much middle of the pack. And so clearly, like, the Jaguars are getting pressure and kind of beating their blocks, but they just can't get home. And so I wrote earlier this season about how I think it has a lot to do with the play of the secondary, and quarterbacks are just kind of getting the ball quickly and successfully against the Jaguars secondary, yeah. which does really the pass rush.
0: Yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that. Chance.
1: And so that's kind of one argument. That's just I, one argument for secondary over pass rush is if your secondary can't cover anyone, then pass rush doesn't even, like, really mean anything or do anything for you.
0: Yeah no absolutely Uh, Gus did a good kind of look at that for the Jaguars a couple weeks ago couple weeks ago on Jaguar Report Uh, you know you can just basically google uh, pass rush or secondary Jaguar Report si it will come up Uh, that number uh, Gus by the way is at 49.7 percent of the time and it was Matt Bowen of ESPN Uh, also on the top five are the Falcons and the Lions and it's a, those are three of the worst secondaries in the league, so that, that's kind of wild to me, but those are just kind of stuff I'm interested in. Um, speaking of the secondary, I had a thought during the game, and I haven't tweeted this out, and I haven't written it, so this is going to be the first base I'm putting it. I think Sidney Jones is handedly Jacksonville's best cornerback right now. I, I, I think he's playing on a different level than C.J. Henderson, at least over the last month, month and a half. Would you agree with that? I know, it's a hot take. <laughs> I would agree that
1: Sidney Jones is our best cornerback right now and he deserves that shout out but with that being said I think CJ Henderson's getting way too much hate just because partly because cornerback is maybe like the most volatile and it's inconsistent position yeah. in football. and CJ Henderson has been pretty inconsistent volatile he had a really good week one against the Colts and he's he had this one play against Brandon Cooks where he basically ran the route for Cooks on an out route and almost had an interception that he might have been able to house. Uh, well, Cooks probably could have run him down, but he <laughs> ran the route for Cooks and it was super cool. And there's a bunch yeah. of things that kind of, like, pop up on tape, which I would say if I was a, anything of a film guy. But, like, he's really a, such an insane athlete and he yeah. understands how to play football that I'm not close to up on, on him at all. And like I said, he's definitely been inconsistent in the – the Will Fuller play was pretty tough, and then the Will Fuller um, defensive penalty was pretty rough, even though that might have been a little bit of a BS call, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, all I'll say is I, I definitely agree that Sidney Jones uh, deserves a shout-out and has been the best cornerback on the Jaguars, but with that being said, I'm not close to being ready to give up on Henderson.
0: Oh, yeah. No, no, I've, absolutely. Um, I'm of the opinion that, I think one season, especially a year like 2020, where rookies have a limited training camp and uh, zero preseason, I I think even, you know, for a rookie that is playing maybe the worst of his position in the league, and I'm not saying Henderson is, I'm just saying a, a hypothetical rookie, I think even then it'd be way too soon to give up on them. So I'm with you on Henderson. Uh, that, that actually brings me to my next point. Uh, I, I think most of Jaguars fans are concerned at this point But you kind of talked about it with Henderson a little bit. And I I agree with you just because, you know, he's eight games into his career. Uh, He, he, like you had said, is clearly one of the best athletes on the field, maybe at the position of cornerback in the league. Like even on plays where he's beaten or plays where he looks disinterested, which (laughs) has happened a few times. Uh, He's able to recover just because he's so explosive. But the question I want to pose to you is – just be, and this isn't uh, something I'm saying like, oh, I'm worrying about them. This is just a question because this is what I'm seeing out, you know, in the community and on social media. The question is, when do you start worrying about the lack of returns on C.J. Henderson and Kayla Von Chase on in 2020? Because as of right now, I mean, I don't think either one of them are in the top three or four of best rookies for the Jaguars this year. And I think that frustrates people just because, you know, they, they were their two highest pick players.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of factors go into that. And I think we kind of talked about a little bit in last week's pod where um, Dave Caldwell's first-round picks have not really panned out very well over the course of his time in Jacksonville since 2013. And so that kind of has always been the back of the mind of people's evaluations of Jacksonville first-round picks. And so, like, I'm not ready to give up on Henderson. And part of that is because he showed – at uh, the University of Florida in 2018. He was kind of hampered by injuries in 2019, but in 2018 he had an unreal season against top SEC opponents. And so, like, I think that season alone kind of convinced me, but also a bunch of draft evaluators, that he could be the real deal. But then Chase, on the other hand, never really showed that. He kind of had a few, like, jump out plays or whatever in the last few games of his season at LSU last year. But he was all, he was kind of hampered by injuries throughout his career at LSU and never really puts together consistent production. He's, he's always kind of more of a tools guy. But then he also has really short arms for a defensive end or an edge rusher. And so I think that warrants some concern. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't think right now, because I think a game in with a COVID-shortened offseason, I don't think any rookie should be judged yeah. right now. But considering that the last, or not the last, but the second-to-last defensive player that we took, in the first round, Taven Bryan has been pretty disappointing. Yeah. Um, I think kind of, um, Jaguars fans are like, oh, well now it's just chase on, or now it's Taven Bryan all, all over again. And yeah. Chase no. a bust. And, and so it's, it's not looking great right now for sure, but it's definitely too early.
0: No, definitely. And I'd agree with you. I think the the biggest worry I've seen from people is I, I don't even know what account it was. But some count tweeted out that chase on was the lowest ranked, uh, like the last ranked defensive end on pro football fo- focus right now. I, honestly, I, I'm not going to act like uh, Chase On hasn't struggled uh, this season or act like I didn't have my critiques of him as a prospect. But on the other hand, he's kind of being played completely out of position. And I hate, you know, when people use that kind of uh, caveat – or, you know, that kind of technicality to say, okay, he's playing bad, but is it his fault? But in Chason's uh, situation, I actually think it is because I think it is clear that he is not a 4-3 defensive end. It was clear at LSU that he was more of a, a 3-4 type outside linebacker. Uh, his best usage actually kind of reminds me of Dante Fowler, how he should be used, because he's best when he's looping inside or coming in on stunts or blitzing around the formation. They did that with him a little more against Houston, and I thought he had one of his better games against Houston. You know, he only played, I think it was 18 snaps, but I think until the Jaguars kind of put uh, – as long as they continue to put him at defensive end, I do not think they will get the results they want. Uh, If they wise up and put him in a better position, I think he'll at least have a better chance to make plays. But that that kind of disconnect is so weird, Gus, because when he was drafted – Dave Caldwell uh, had literally said, you know, we envision him in a two-point stance, uh, rushing opposite Josh Allen and Ngakwe. Uh, The Ngakwe part was obviously a farce, but you have the GM and then even the head coach saying they envision him standing up, rushing the passer. And then we get to the season, and he's strictly a 4-3 defensive end. And I feel like that's happened a few times over the last few seasons. So that kind of disconnect between, I guess, the front office's plans and what they actually put on the field do you, do you think that could be maybe a reason to be a little less concerned about Chase on? I I'm, I'm not even going to say be optimistic about him but maybe be like okay maybe there is a good reason why he's struggling. Definitely. I think one of the biggest or best traits that a
1: coach or slash front office person can have is kind of fitting your scheme to your players versus fitting your players to your scheme. It's so, like Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh are really good examples of that and then Adam Gase is a really good example of not doing that because he just kind of trots out his three wide receiver sets 11 personnel kind of regardless of who's on his team even if all those receivers are injured like they were in the beginning of the year he still is like no we're doing three receivers no matter what and we're not going to give Chris in routes but that's another topic um but as you said like I think Chaseon a, has a very clear role, and that was pretty evident in his time at LSU. He kind of did one thing; he almost he looks like basically lined up as a nine tech for most of his snaps at LSU. And so, I think that the fact that Jackson Lowe wasn't really giving him that strong of a chance to kind of play at his natural position or play at his best position is definitely a, yeah. a big factor. And I think also, Jaguar like after the Jaguars drafted Chaseon at I think twenty overall in April everyone doing draft analysis was like oh chase on was a great pick because he has pass rushing tools but he's still super raw so maybe don't expect much out of him in 2020 mm-hmm. but then in 2021 here he could be big and now it's 2020 and he's not really doing much and everyone's freaking out yeah and
0: so it certainly doesn't look
1: super great right now but like he does need time as a prospect and so that you, should be said
0: definitely definitely and i i think instant gratification on first round picks is a very real thing um there's there's probably better examples out there, but I mean Jerry Jerry Hughes for example. You know I'm not going to say Chase On's going to be Jerry Hughes, but he was kind of a middling you know sack artist with uh, the Colts, and then they traded him to Buffalo. I think it was three seasons, maybe four seasons into his career, and he flipped a switch. So you know sometimes patience is needed. Uh, not to say Chase On's going to turn into Jerry Hughes, but I. I I think maybe kind of judging him for 2020 is a bit unfair, even if he's not playing very well, if if that makes sense. It's my kind of convoluted way. Want to make your own podcast? Spotify has got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then lets you distribute it everywhere and anywhere, and even earn money right from it. And it's all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here is how it works. Spotify for podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, no matter where you're at, you can start creating today. Uh, Gus, uh, you know, we'll wrap up uh, the Houston game here. But who else stood out to you uh, against Houston uh, other than the quarterbacks? For me, it was. DJ Chark, Miles Jack, and then uh, Doug Costin and Devon Hamilton inside. What about you? Who were the standout players in your eyes?
1: Definitely those players. I thought DJ Shark probably had his best game of the season and just looked super good. And the fact that Bradley Roby didn't play was definitely kind of a big part of that because Roby is probably like a top 15-ish cornerback in the league and is really good at shadow coverage. And so te- the Texans missing him is definitely a big part. But at the same time, Chark looks really, really good. So I'm excited to see kind of how he does in the second half of the season after an underwhelming first half. Um, I thought Clay Brooks was a beast on special teams. He had oh, two yeah. um, punts that downed in maybe the five within the five-yard line or the 10-yard line, and then he also had a pretty nice return. And then, um, I don't know, other than that, uh, Eifert had a season higher in receptions and receiving yards, even though it was only four and 48. Um, <laughs> and then Cam, Cam Robinson played really well, but he, he also nothing Grenard. Yeah,
0: he's he had only played 11.
1: He had only played 11 NFL snaps before, before this game, and so it wasn't really that much of a tough matchup for Cam. But the fact that he did well against bad opponents, I guess, is a good sign. Of course. And so I don't know. I just no, no one really stood out a ton to me other than the two young D tackles and then Chark and Luton. But yeah. also, one, one last thing I'll say is that uh, Trey Herndon blitzed five times, which was his second highest blitz amount of, of the season. And the only other time he blitzed more was six times against Houston in week five. But he had four pressures and a sack on his five blitzes, which I thought was pretty impressive because – Whenever I run, run corner blitz in Madden, and it never works. And so the fact that corner blitz works for Todd Walsh, that was kind of cool. Yeah. But, and then one, one last, last thing I'll say is that I just looked up the uh, stats for or the PFF stats for Caleb Von chase on, And among 119 edge rushers, he actually doesn't rank last. He ranks second to last, but last. the person who ranks last is Cassius Marsh. So
0: <laughs> that is very on brand. Is he, is he on a team right now? No, I'm pretty sure he got
1: cut when we traded for that Tennessee linebacker.
0: If, if you uh, if you put in like snap count minimums, probably I, I I think that maybe Chase On would go to last. But I mean, that's that, yeah. that that's a beautiful roundabout way to say that Jacksonville's defensive line <laughs> has not been great this season. Um, yeah, no, I'm 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 with you on all that. Uh. I, I believe Devon Hamilton and Doug Costin were PFF's two highest graded defensive rookies uh, in week nine to To get, to get uh, that kind of performance out of two rookies on defen on like one defensive unit would be a uh, fantastic, but wh- like one position, those guys were literally right next to each other and they were kind of dominating Houston's offensive line. Uh, Devon Hamilton's had a terrific stretch of two games. Uh Coston was really good in a rotational role, and the Jaguars finally realized you know they weren't getting anything out of Taven Bryant. And I, I think Taven has seven pressures this season, and Coston had four against Houston. Uh Coston is gonna miss week ten with a concussion, but he's a guy I'm really interested to see over the second half of the season. I I I tweeted this, Gus. How amazing is it that they have undrafted rookies in a season where undrafted rookies should not, like, realistically be able to make an impact. They've had undrafted rookies completely outshine their first-round picks from 2017 and 2018. That is baffling to me. Like, how does that happen? It makes no sense. Like, you expect something like that to
1: happen on, like, maybe the Patriots or the Ravens or, I don't know, like a really, really well-oiled machine of a franchise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's just like almost like a, I don't know, a slap not a slap in the face, but it's just very ironic that our undrafted free agent rookies are doing really well, and then our first rounders are meh at best.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely humorous. That plus the fact that the Jaguars are seemingly the only team in the league that can evaluate, develop, and. uh produce six-round quarterbacks who are at least serviceable uh, at a consistent rate. Meanwhile, every first-round pick they use on a quarterback, they'd be better off picking you, Gus. So it's uh, it, it's interesting. Uh, you know, the undrafted free agents are outplaying playing first-round picks. Uh, their six-round quarterbacks are better than their past first-round quarterbacks or their giant free agent signing last season. So it's, it's very funny how things work out uh, here in Jacksonville. Um, just really quickly, I wanted to follow up on your point about Claybrooks. Uh, I agree with you. I, I thought he had the best uh, game a Jaguar special team has had outside of – I mean, Daniel Thomas scored a touchdown So I, uh, until <laughs> Claybrooks does that. But I thought he had a great game. Uh, I, I think if Claybrooks can become that kind of consistent special teams like kind of force – I think that's a perfect seventh round pick. I mean, in in the seventh round, I think if you can get a guy who's a special teams ace, I think that's perfect. And it seemed to me like they were using him as a punt gunner for like the first time this year. And it was like, Oh, Hey, this guy runs a four, three. Let's just ask him to run as fast as he can to the ball. And it worked out, you know, DJ Chark was another guy who was a great punt gunner as a rookie, just because he's so fast and get down the field. And Claybrook showed that. And then, he had his first good return of the season as well. For a guy who was a return specialist, he was objectively terrible at returning the ball through the first seven games of the season. But he had a really good return and was the sole reason they were able to put Lambeau in position for that 59-yard field goal. So definitely encouraging from him. But uh, I'm with you. Otherwise, there wasn't a ton to be excited about for the Jaguars. They, they have some fun young talent and a few good players, but they just they need more difference makers. I think a good example of this is uh, I'd say Gerard Wilson's one of their best defenders. And I think he's one of the sixth highest graded safeties on PFF right now. But if he is one of your three to four best defenders, I think that's a worry for your defense. Because to me, he is he is completely steady. Uh, he's consistent, but he's not a difference maker. So if, that's, if that guy is one of your best players on defense, that kind of sums up the issues. Does that make sense?
1: Definitely. I think,
0: yeah, Gerald Wilson would be, like, an awesome
1: player to have on, like, a really good defense when you can kind of rely on him, but at the same time, he's, like, not one of your stars. You can kind of rely on him for steady production, as you said, yeah. but not for difference-making. And so it's hard to kind of rely on him for that on this team. And yeah. the Jaguars definitely do have some exciting young players, but at the same time, I feel like every team in the NFL can say that. And so it's not like the Jaguars are special or anything. But yeah. <laughs> going back to the thing about how the Jaguars can only do – Draft six-round rookies, rookie quarterbacks, and uh, undrafted free agents. My, <laughs> what if we did? This is me doing a galaxy brain theory, but how college and high school teams sometimes rotate quarterbacks? We should just hire a general manager to draft in rounds one through four, and then keep Caldwell to do five through seven and undrafted. What do you think about that?
0: Hey, hey, I, I, let, let's get weird. You know, I mean, it, it, it's time. They're about to finish last place for third year in a row. It's it's time to get weird, you know, <laughs> like set, set a new standard in football evaluation. Because, I mean, that, that that's the wild thing about this front office over the years is it's not like they've been unable to find talent. You know, the, a lot of good players have come through Jacksonville in recent years. It's just the biggest and most important decisions are always the ones that get the most wrong. So it's definitely interesting to track moving forward, uh, especially if the front office will remain the same for 2021. But uh, en- enough about uh, Week Nine, Gus. We're going to pivot to Week Ten against the Green Bay Packers. Do you think there is any chance they upset the Packers at Lambeau? And if so, why do you think they would do that to Mercedes Lewis? <laughs> I really hope Mercedes does one of those little tight end screens that we run. I think on. he's going to catch a touchdown, okay. dude. I th- I think he's definitely going to catch a touchdown. I does not doubt in my mind.
1: That'll have to be prop, prop bet of the week. I'll, I'll have to look at the odds, but Mercedes Lewis to score a touchdown will be Jaguar Port's prop bet of the week. But yeah, I would say <laughs> any, any game in the NFL is honestly possible to win just because. Yeah, I agree. Like the NFL is just so kind of like unpredictable, yep. and volatile, that like every team kind of has a chance week to week.
0: Yeah, you kind of have to throw uh, the records out, right?
1: Right. And so I think one reason also that the Jaguars could like get a little lucky or find themselves in a the solid position against Green Bay is that there's projected uh, winds of 20 plus miles per hour. And so if that means less dropbacks for Aaron Rodgers and less routes run for Devontae Adams, that would certainly be a win for the Jaguars. Yeah. And also that would probably mean less dropbacks for Jake Lewin and more carries and touches for James Robinson, which would also, especially against a Green Bay defense, that's been not very good. They're, one of the worst teams against the run last year, and they've improved a little bit this year, but Dalvin Cook just gashed them yeah. two weeks ago. And so hopefully James Robinson kind of have – he's definitely shown flashes and has been very solid, but if he could have kind of a breakout game during the wind and stuff, that would be huge. And so I think if Robinson kind of goes off and, add, and the wind kind of factors the passing game, And the Jaguars, I kind of luck into winning the turnover battle three to one or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then I definitely expect it to maybe be close or even like squeak out a win. But that's a lot of things having to go right. And so it would kind of have to be almost a perfect storm for the Jaguars to win.
0: And that just shows how their margin of error is kind of non existent at this point. Uh, Gus, the, the Packers are 19 and five over the last two seasons. Am I wrong for feeling like they are the worst good team in the league over the last two years? Because I know all they do is win. I know Aaron Rodgers has been playing great this season, but I still, I, I still feel like they're a team that if you're going to upset a team, uh, like if you're a struggling team that's going to go on the road and try to get an upset win, I think the Packers might be that team. I don't think it happens for the Jaguars, but like you had said, I think there's a very real scenario where they make this a competitive game. Just because a big part of it, like like you had said, leaning on James Robinson, and I think they have mismatches against Green Bay's defense. Jair Alexander's, in my opinion, the best cornerback in football this season. But other than him, I think the Jaguars can take advantage of the Packers' second level and the rest of their secondary. So I'm with you. But on that topic, there's two matchups that I think are going to determine the game. I want to get your thoughts on who wins those matchups. But first I'll give mine. Uh Jair Alexander versus DJ Chark, and then Devontae Adams versus CJ Henderson. I think the first one will be a draw. I think Chark's going to have another solid game, mostly because I think the Jaguars are going to force feed him the ball. But I think Devontae Adams is going to do some pretty unruly things to the Jaguars secondary, especially CJ Henderson. Just – it. it his route running's on another level, and for a young cornerback, he just seems like the toughest matchup in the league.
1: Yeah, you like I would take Devonte Adams against anyone right now, like especially the Jaguars' cornerbacks, but like Richard Sherman or Marlon Humphreys or number twenty on the Rams or Stephon Gilmore, or literally anyone. <laughs> i would take Adams right now. He's just a world beater, and like I don't know, right now uh he's averaging thirteen targets, ten catches. 128 yards and 1.6 touchdowns a game, which is just ludicrous. And it's and it's five healthy games, so that's not including week two against Detroit. But yeah, I'm. <laughs> I kind of the the wind is a real report, but at the same time, I'm kind of telling myself, oh, they're not going to pass that much, which is just kind of a hopeful dream because if they yeah. do pass a lot, then I fully expect Adams to the nuclear, to be honest. Yeah. And the other side, I I agree with your take. Uh, completely, where I think Alexander is. Uh, well, first of all, Alexander and Adams are both the n- number one rated players at their respective positions according to PFF this year, and so that kind of backs up your take that Alexander is the best cornerback. Mm-hmm. And he he kind of struggled a little bit against Adam Thielen shadow coverage in Week One, but since yeah. then he's shadowed three times, and he's only allowed one catch on seven targets for six yards in three games of shadow coverage since then, which is pretty absurd and so I think the Jaguars are going to try to force feed him or force feed Chark the ball enough where Chark will still kind of have a productive game and especially if I mean the Jaguars have been kind of living in negative game scripts for the whole season, and so that'll definitely help to kind of have the stats or get more targets for chark and so I think that'll that one could end up being more of
0: a draw, yeah. but i'm wholeheartedly scared of pontte adams <laughs> now I, uh, Bill Huber of a uh, Packer report which is a uh... SI's Green Bay Packers team channel. Um, I was talking with him earlier this week, and uh, he said that I think uh, Alexander is, I think, charted for – he's given up 54 receiving yards over, like, the last six games or something like that. Like, he doesn't have great ball production, but dude just blankets receivers. Uh, I also loved him coming out of Louisville, so I will always remind people the fact that he's very good. Uh, If he was bad, like Kevin King, then I will – please ask that you forget I ever liked them. (laughs) Uh, I'm with you though. I I, I think the Packers just have the overall advantage. Uh, I mean, we've seen Aaron Rodgers against Todd Wash's defense before in 2016, and you can make an argument that that defense was uh, more talented than this defense because, you know, had Malik Jackson, Jalen Ramsey, et cetera. And I I, I, I will like to point out that I did catch the number 20 on the Rams (laughs) that – you, you, you're on one today, Gus, between that and the John Elway. You're you you you're, you're, you're in your bag today. I'll give you that. But, uh, no, I, I agree with all that. I, I think Devontae Adams is a matchup nightmare for any quarterback in the NFL, especially a rookie corner. So, I would just like to go ahead and warn Jaguars fans right now, do not melt down when C.J. Henderson uh, gets beat for a big play against Devontae Adams because – it would have happened to anybody. So I think that's important to remember. Um, Gus, I, I have an interesting question because somebody posed this to me on Twitter. So I want to I bring it up to you. Eventually, the Green Bay Packers are going to be moving on from Aaron Rodgers. He, 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 he's going to be obviously uh, near probably Tom Brady age, et cetera, when that happens. But they just drafted a quarterback in the first round. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars and say you're still the last place team in the AFC South uh, when Aaron Rodgers leaves Green Bay, are you interested in pursuing him, you know, as in kind of over-the-hill type veteran quarterback who, you know, you you can maybe try to get a Joe Montana with the Chiefs type run out of, or do you just keep going to the draft and keep trying to find a young quarterback? Because somebody asked me the other day, and I was like, I want to say, obviously, draft a young quarterback is obviously the right answer, but if you get to Jaguars, do you also say no to Aaron Rodgers? Like, like who who are you to say no to that? Yeah, that's that last point was pretty fair, but I would
1: also say draft a quarterback just because it kind of depends on the state of the roster, in yeah. my opinion. The you know, Jaguars' state of the roster right now is not ideal, and so if they had kind of a roster like 2017 where they're kind of ready to win now, and they're basically a quarterback away or, like, two pieces away, as people like to say, from a championship, then yes. But now it's three years later, and we have one of the youngest and probably least talented rosters in the league. And so I think Aaron Rodgers takes us over the hump, but that hump is from two wins to seven wins. It's not like – like, I would rather that hump be from nine wins to 13 wins. Yeah. And so I think because of that and because – Maybe if he was five years younger, then it's a little bit different. And, I mean, he's balling out right now, and so maybe he'll be like Tom Brady and just play until his arm falls off. But I think just because the quarterback – or because the roster is not really ready to win at all, uh, it doesn't really make sense to get a quarterback that needs to win now.
0: Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um, And I've said this before. I think if there's any – non-NFL draft route the Jaguars should go at quarterback it's it's completely implausible but see if there's any chance that Dak Prescott Dak Prescott will be a free agent Uh, I I don't think even the Cowboys would allow him to walk but I think if Dak Prescott's a free agent if you're choosing between him and drafting a quarterback I think I I honestly what, what would you say would you say Draft a quarterback and spend your cap elsewhere or spend big money on a quarterback like Prescott and then draft uh elite positional prospect in the top five. I'm not sure which one I would do. I'm really not. I kind of lean toward drafting a quarterback just because that gives you cost control at the most important position, but you're spending the money anyways. And it's not like Prescott isn't a proven quarterback. And it's not like he doesn't give you a long-term window because, I mean, he's still young. So what would you do there? I'm, I'm not really sure what I would do.
1: Yeah, the, the only thing about drafting a quarterback for cost reasons is that it definitely gives you cap, cap flexibility for the next four to five years. Yeah. But considering the Jaguars rock right now, like it's not like we like kind of need to build the entire team. It's not like we're a quarterback away from being even – being like a 500-record team. And so I think like by the time the Jaguars kind of like put together a winning team around the quarterback, then we would have to sign the quarterback – to a long-term deal Mm -hmm. and so my friend actually i was was talking to a buddy um a couple weeks ago who said he doesn't want a quarterback because quarterbacks drafted in the top five like haven't won a super bowl in the last 20 years in the last 20 years and at first i thought that was a pretty ludicrous take but thinking about it it makes sense because kind of the same argument that i just said like teams that draft top top five quarterback have basically like one of the worst rosters in the league and so about if that quarterback does pan out then he probably won't pan out until – or the team won't pan out around him until it's kind of time to spend money. And so, basically, long story short, I'll take Dak because his injury is scary. But you also, like, know that you have a top ten or I would honestly argue a top five quarterback. And so I think having that and knowing that is way better than just, like, the chance of having Trevor Lawrence turning into a pro Bowl or an all-pro or – Justin Fields or Zach Wilson. I think kind of knowing what you have in Dak as a top 10 franchise quarterback, assuming that his injury isn't bad for the rest of his career is worth taking.
0: Yeah, no. And uh, just just uh, to back up your point, the last two uh, top five, top four picks to win a Super Bowl were Peyton Manning and Eli Manning. Uh, obviously, other first rounders, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Joe Flacco, Ben Roethlisberger have won it. But uh, when, when Brady wins, like, a, a quarter of the last uh, 20 Super Bowls, that's obviously going to skew it. But didn't you have mid-round picks like Nick Foles, uh, Russell Wilson, uh, uh, Brad Johnson, uh, and then I, I believe Breeze was a second-round pick. So, I mean, there, there's credence to that point. Uh, there really is. So I, 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 I'd I agree with you. I think it's much more about finding the right quarterback as opposed to how you find him. So, I'd agree with you. I, I think I probably would take uh, – would pay Dak and then – I don't even know who you would draft in the top five because uh, Sewell from Oregon obviously is an elite offensive tackle prospect, but I, I, I guess probably take him. I mean, I, I think Cam Robinson is a server, I think Cam Robinson's a decent, solid starting left tackle. Uh, Juwan Taylor has to improve over the second half of the season, but uh, that's an interesting question, at least. Uh, it's probably a complete moot point because, like I said, I don't even think the Cowboys are going to let Dak walk to begin with, but uh, it's an interesting question to ponder. All right, uh, Gus, before we go, two things. Uh, give me a score prediction for Sunday, and then uh, give us a hot take. I'm going to give my hot take and prediction first. Go ahead and let you think about it. Uh, you always seem caught off guard by this, even though we do it every, every week. Uh, uh, the, the TJ Watt uh, hot take, I mean, JJ, you were close on. He was only seven sacks away from eight, so <laughs> just just a bit outside uh i'm going to go All with <laughs> i know it, it, it's bad that you were the first person i thought of when he got that one sack and then um what was it uh good friend of the show uh aaron uh pattern of static uh he uh, messaged me after the game and said uh, how many sacks did get?" <laughs> so uh thanks to aaron a friend of the show for helping us put together our last episode as well uh my score prediction hot take i think the packers win 38 to let's go ahead and call it 24, and my prediction is that Jake Luton throws for 300 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, I think he'll I think he'll throw a, a pick, but my hot take is that Jake Luton has another good game and at least volume stat wise is identical to Rogers. Uh, I- my score prediction is 25 Packers, 20
1: Jaguars, I mean, a wow. scrappy, windy game. And then my hot take is mm-hmm. that C.J. Henderson gets an interception and Calvon Chason gets his first career sack just because the timeline would be unbelievable if that happened. So that's, the, that's my hot take. The two
0: first-rounders have big plays. In fairness, Chaseon had a sack in week two. So be ah, a, his yeah, his second career sack. But I I I I'd be remiss to not point out the irony of hot take. The first rounders play well. Like <laughs> the fact that that's a hot take at this point is <laughs> it's amazing. I I mean, I was like kidding or being ironic. Yeah, no, I, I mean, because was... it's fair. It's it's definitely fair. It's it's hilarious, but it's fair um yeah no i'm i'm with you uh, i i could i could see those uh chase on got close to a few sacks uh last week you know i mean one play uh that Watson threw away on third down uh it was an uh, incomplete because chase on nearly sacked him so uh um, you know what i'll I'll go with you there I, I think the first rounders have a good decent game as well i almost said good game caught myself i think they have a decent game as well All yeah. right, uh we
1: got a ton for expectations
0: yeah absolutely uh well everybody uh that's it for this week uh we'll be back of course next week but thanks for listening to another episode of the jaguar report podcast you can find us on twitter it's at jaguar report or www.si.com slash jaguars uh you can follow me at underscore john underscore shipley yes two underscores you're not the first or last person to mention it uh gus go ahead and give them your twitter handle and get us out of here Yeah, you can follow me at Gus underscore load. Uh,
1: Give me a follow for the next week's poll of the week. This week's poll – I'm introducing a new segment, John. This week's poll is if you're the general manager of a new franchise with neutral coaching and neutral talent, and the only quarterbacks available are Minshew and Luton, who do you choose? And 58% of Twitter said Luton. So, there you go. God,
0: Stockholm so, syndrome, man. Find I, my
1: Twitter to be a part of the next poll. I wish Jaguar
0: Twitter – I wish Jaguar Twitter was a person that I could just give a hug and like a Starbucks coffee to And tell them that's going to be all right, man. They, they, they have been hurt. They have been hurt. (laughs) Well, uh, everybody, thanks again uh, for listening as always. And we will be back with you next week. Thanks.